You're listening to the Ticker Podcast from IR Magazine, a roundup of this week's leading stories and industry comment from the world of investor relations. Direct from our central London studio, here's your host, Lori Havelock. This week on the Ticker Podcast, an insight into how activists work, Magdalena Moll leaves BASF for an Austrian adventure, and a rundown of the contenders at the IR Magazine Awards US 2016. Welcome back to the Ticker Podcast. It's your weekly roundup of the top stories from around the wide world of investor relations and brought to you by IR Magazine. I've got Tim Human, Condice de Montpetit and Garnet Roach all with me in the studio. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Good morning. And we're going to start with the news uh, that a Hong Kong startup has developed a platform that can read minds and tell you where to invest your money. Well, almost. Um, Amarios is what it's called and the service analyzes more than 1 million websites and a range of social media networks to gauge interest on any issue, really. Um, though it's in its early days, Amarios can tell you exactly how the online world feels about currencies, equities, commodities and countries themselves and gives users a detailed breakdown of exactly what emotions are being felt and how many are angry, trustful or disgusted, for example, although I don't think that's a reaction you would really want to find. Um, Though it only deals with English text at the moment, plans are ahead to add Mandarin and Japanese analysis to its services and eventually to index some 8,000 stocks for analysis. So you you could invest in the anger index maybe i'm not sure how useful that would be philippe l asmar who's amarios's co-founder says i can tell you how much joy there is on the s p 500 and how people feel about the remimbi a group of psychologists and data scientists work to develop this we go farther than positive or negative it can even detect irony and sarcasm Again, I don't know what the sarcastic index would look like. Um, Right now, he says, we're only focusing on financial markets, but what we're doing could be applied to anything, politics, PR, or marketing. It's open to use by anyone. Free trials are available online, guys, if you fancy looking at it. Um, But finally, maybe the wisdom of social media could become available and maybe useful to anyone at all, ever. Yeah, my um, my boyfriend is Spanish and doesn't detect sarcasm in English very well, um, which I find eternally amusing. But (laughs) (laughs) he could probably do signing up to that, maybe learn a thing or two. Well, maybe the like the sarcasm and irony in indices. Like, us Brits have a bit of an edge over the others on them because we yes. just understand yes. those <laughs> emotions better. Um, there already is a, a fear index, isn't there? The the volatility index in Chicago. So they've got fear covered, but obviously lots more emotions to potentially exploit. <laughs> what about elation? I'm quite interested to have a go on that and see. I don't know, gauge interest about all of us, you know, put in Garnet Roach and Tim Hume and Condice and see what comes up. I think it's quite a weird thing for IROs to have to try and uh, take under their wings. But um, I'm going to move on to Condice, who's been looking at one of IR's famous faces, moving on to a new challenge. I think that kind of works. Yes, we, we really have to say it's uh, it's the end of an era. Um, Magdalena Moll, BSF's much acclaimed head of IR of 13 years, is leaving Germany in May for some new adventures in Austria. Not skiing, surely? No, pumping oil. <laughs> uh, she's joining um, energy firm OMV to succeed IRO Felix Rusch, who's been promoted to head of strategy. And as we all mentioned quite often, Maggie has won a slate of awards with us, including the prize for best IRO and Grand Prix for large caps. I, I can't even remember how many times at our awards in Europe. 56, I think. Yeah, something <laughs> on those lines, yeah. Yeah, it was really lucky that she, she brought a, a team member with her, and I'm sure um, she'll be very much missed. And actually, we'll see if the IR team at BSF, which will now be led by a former head of comms, uh, Stephanie Wettberg, will continue to dominate the IR magazine awards and rankings in Europe. But I have more good news about women empowerment in Asia this time. Uh, a report by Singapore's Diversity Action Committee, let's call it DAC, chaired by former Singapore Exchange CEO Magnus Böcker, revealed that local blue chips have been ramping up the number of uh, women on boards. 
Uh, what are the current figures for women on boards in Singapore? Well, female representation at Straits Time Index constituents reached uh, 10.2% at the end of the year. And uh, that, that's a 34% increase year on year. And um, it's due to the fact that more than a quarter of new appointments at those firms were women. I mean, board appointments, of course. And what's interesting, I think you mentioned this to me earlier, is that there's no diversity quota in Singapore, right? No, nothing that makes them have to hire women in these numbers. Yes, there, there's no quota and uh, no disclosure requirements, uh, yet the gender diversity has improved across the whole market, not only at those uh, blue chips. Women directors uh, currently hold almost 10% of seats, up from 8.8% last year and 8.3% two years ago. And uh, the good news is that only nine firms uh, from the STI have all-male boards. And um, for all listed firms, the proportion has declined from 54% in 2012 to 41% at the end of last year. And are things improving equally across all industries? Well, in fact, no. Uh, the DAC report notes that uh, a large number of companies in consumer-facing industries are still below the, uh, the market average of uh, almost 10%. So the organization um, encourages shareholders to engage boards on the, the issue to get the ball rolling. And um, it is also in favor of introducing uh, mandatory disclosure requirements that will force companies to report on their progress towards the, the targets they, they've set. It's interesting to hear that it's it's not even across industries. I wonder what factors are making that happen. But as we know, board composition is a is a hot topic, particularly when it comes to activists as well, to move very swiftly on to what Garnet's going to talk about. You've been catching up with somewhat of an expert on shareholder activism this week, is that right? I have. I've been um, having a bit of a focus on the subject. Um, so I've been looking at some new research from NIRI and also talking to Bruce Goldfarb, CEO and president of Okapi Partners. He's got some really great stories to tell, which unfortunately I can't share them all today. But, oh, um, shame. Yeah, very funny ones, including bighorn sheep. What are bighorn sheep? They're big sheep, but they're not... With big horns? They're not giant sheep. Um, I don't think giant sheep actually exist. I might have that up. Giant sheep always have really small horns. They're not... Is that how it goes? (laughs) Yeah. That's how it works. Yeah. Anyway, moving on from sheep. So part of what makes um, Neri's research so interesting is the fact that the last time the IR body looked at this was back in 2007. So you really get a view of how much the activism landscape has changed over the past eight years. One of the first findings in the study points to the massive increase in the number of IROs reporting having had an activist on the register. So in 2007, less than half, um, 47% of IROs had dealt with an activist. This figure had risen to 80% in 2015, so it's actually a 70% increase um, over the past eight years. IR professionals are also keeping a keener eye out for activists. Um, the study authors write that, quote, interestingly, the percentage of IR professionals who don't know whether an activist investor has ever owned their company stock has reduced dramatically over the same period of time, from 20% in 2007 to a mere 4% in 2015. And when it comes to IROs finding out about activist interest in the first place, does the study have any insights there? Yeah, so it, it looks at um, a number of different ways that that first contact is made or the ways that IROs first find out that there's some activist interest um, or involvement in the stock. And direct contact by the investor remains the most common way that IROs discover an activist. So that's reported by 49% of IR professionals last year, and that's the same number as 2007. The use of SEC filings in identifying an activist has dropped slightly. Um, That's fallen six percentage points to 20% in 2015, Um, while the use of stock surveillance firms has climbed slightly and also now stands at um, 20%. And what about what activists want to do, their goals? How have they changed over the past eight years? Well, when it comes to what activists want, business strategy was the main focus of activist campaigns back in 2007, and that remains the case now. Um, However, there has been an 11 percentage point drop in the number of these 
these campaigns um, over the past eight years. So business strategy was the focus of 36% of cases last year, down from 47% in 2007. Um, other interesting points are around the um, around calls for the return of capital, which has seen a big push, climbing from just 6% in 2007 um, to make up a third of campaigns last year. Board representation has also seen a boost, um, with almost a quarter of campaigns um, seeking to put someone on the board in 2015, up from 16% the last time that Neri ran the research. I talked to Bruce about some of the reasons for this push for board seats and um, how that's also affecting the tone of activist campaigns. Most activists are looking to make changes that will affect the long-term value of the company. The most successful ones have really dug into the business and have come up with truly value-enhancing strategic changes that management may not have evaluated. Just demanding a stock buyback or spin-off is not always going to get other shareholders on your side. Getting onto the board allows investors to work with management to address the problems with more options. If a board seat is part of an investor's ultimate goal, it makes sense to keep things civil. Our successful clients on the activist side recognize that when they win board seats, the war is over. You have to shake hands and work together. Our corporate clients, when they've reached a settlement with an activist and welcomed an activist onto the, into the boardroom, those clients know that they want to get the most value out of the board working together and exchanging ideas. As activists have gained more of a public face and had public successes, Bruce explains that both traditional shareholders and even boards have begun to recognise that there can be benefits to having activist input. Of course, that doesn't mean that we won't be seeing a few of those headline-grabbing, aggressive campaigns in the future. Investors of all types are becoming much more involved with the companies they own. This engagement doesn't always mean running proxy contests or publicly challenging the management. It often means working behind the scenes with the company and the board to help shape the long-term strategy. Other shareholders who have seen the success that activist hedge funds have had see a need for a shakeup at the board level in order to enhance value at a company. From the company perspective, boards and management are much more open these days to listening to their shareholders, including activists. Boards are realizing that having some fresh blood in the room is often a good thing. They are also speaking to their shareholders, many of whom encourage board refreshment, on a much more regular basis and being more transparent with their long-term strategy to deliver value to investors. There will always be activists and campaigns that take a tough tone, and there are still times when it's appropriate to truly rattle your saber. But on both sides, we're seeing less of an interest to stake your ground at the polls and more of an interest to come toward the middle. As well as um, some of Bruce's excellent stories about some of the campaigns that he's worked on, I particularly like the phrase, rattle your saber. I, I was, going to... <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, that's a very strong image of like, a load of activists lining up with swords popping out of scabbards. I guess the only thing is rattling your saber implies that it's an empty threat, whereas I think these, a lot of these people have quite a lot of, of power to change companies if they want to. Make a lot of fuss anyway. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm also I'm going to be speaking to Bruce again later today, actually. Um, I'm working on a, an article for the summer issue looking at the change in focus in some of these campaigns. So I will have more to say on that soon. Well, fantastic. Yeah, keep your eyes peeled for that issue coming soon. And on to another future IR Magazine release, but it is a bit more exciting. The IR Magazine Awards US 2016 are coming soon. And Tim has been looking down the shortlist to find out what's been going on there. 
Yes, the shortlist uh, was released uh, very recently, I think about a week ago. But before, before going into who's on the shortlist, just a few words about how the awards have changed this year. Um, they're now more focused with fewer awards and a bigger focus on sectors. So we're still surveying people about different areas like uh, best financial reporting, best corporate governance and so on. But all of that's going to go into uh, informing uh, best sector winners in 10 key sectors. And that will help the winners uh, better benchmark themselves against uh, their industry peers, which we know is uh, very important to IROs. As usual, I should say that uh, the nominees and winners are all voted for as usual by a survey of uh, investors and analysts. But it's not just all about sectors, right, this year? We've still got some of the, the old awards coming back. Yes, we've still got uh, the Grand Prix, uh, sorry, the Grand Prix for best um, uh, overall IR, best financial reporting, best corporate governance and a couple of other areas. Out in front at the moment is Honeywell with uh, uh, four appearances on the shortlists, followed by JP Morgan and General Electric, who both have three uh, nominations each. And as we hinted at uh, two weeks ago, the People's Choice Awards making its debut this year. What, what's, what goes on there? Yes, yeah, so this is a, a brand new um, award this year, and it's, it's different in a couple of ways. First of all, uh, with our main awards voted for by investors and analysts, companies can't submit themselves. It's all, we just go out there and ask the investors and analysts who, who they think is the best in different areas. With this, companies can enter themselves into the awards and advisors can also um, submit clients that they, that they think are particularly good in different areas. So we've got a whole range of different nominations in, which we've whittled down to a short list of seven companies. And now those have been put online and anyone who wants to can vote for the winner. Anyone, just anyone or, or only our magazine readers? Well, I guess only people who know about the awards are going to be voting. So that's mainly mainly our magazine readers. One thing that you you need is you need a work email address. You can't vote with a Gmail or Hotmail address, for example. That's to stop any uh, potential uh, rigging no of the results. <laughs> you start seeing Tim Human 1, Tim Human 2 at gmail.com <laughs> voting for the same company again and again. Yeah, unfortunately, my nomination didn't make it through to the, uh, the shortlist. Very sadly. Um, um, so the, the, the nominees include companies like Zillow uh, for its use of social media and uh, video streaming app Periscope during earnings. Uh, Twitter is another nominee uh, for its use of a wide range of different digital channels and, and formats, including its IR blog and also doing things like putting out its earnings recordings as MP3s. We've also got um, Old National Bank as one of the uh, uh, companies on the shortlist for some interesting uh, twists that it made on the traditional Investor Day format. Uh, just for fairness, I should go through the other nominees as well. Um, AMD's on there for rebranding itself to the street. WWE for its innovative approach to earnings, including using different kinds of tech and infographics. Um, Idea Pharmaceuticals for a full corporate identity rebrand conducted by the head of IR. And finally, uh, Juniper Networks for uh, introducing a CFO commentary, which it sends out just before its earnings. So the winner of the, uh, the People's Choice Award and also all of the main awards, including our new uh, key sector awards, uh, all of that will be announced uh, on March 31st at the uh, Cipriani Wall Street. Um, so we look forward to seeing lots of you there. Yes, absolutely. Those are the U US awards taking place at the end of March. Um, if you'd like to secure your own place at the event, um, you can check out the IR Magazine events website, um, irmagazine.com forward slash events. Um, and Bridget Toledano is the person to get in contact with there. Um, her details are on that website. Do let us know if you'd like to like to come and enjoy the awards yourself. Keep your eyes peeled at the IR Magazine website in general for more news about the awards. And of course, on the night, all the latest about who are the winners and sadly losers will be on the night. But for now, that's all we've got time for, guys. Thanks again for coming along and talking to me about the news. Thank you. Thank Cheers, Laurie. Laurie. And we will see you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Ticker Podcast from IR Magazine. 
For free access to all the latest global investor relations news and analysis, register at irmagazine.com or download the app.